Hey, faith family. Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast at Calvary Bible, where we go beyond the Sunday sermon to explore some rabbit holes and to bring some biblical truths to the surface. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Calvary Bible Church, welcome to a special episode of the Beyond Sunday podcast. Uh, So Dr. Patrick is our keynote speaker. I barely know him. He knows me less. <laughs> yes. And um, yeah, so he's our keynote speaker for the Global Outreach Summit this year. And this is being recorded really before the Sunday sermon. Normally, we you guys get this after uh, the sermon. But I just thought um, with him being with us this week, it'd be a great opportunity to do a special episode. And we'll probably air it next week after you've heard him. But uh, Dr. Patrick, thanks for being with us. It's a pleasure. Yeah, and I uh, I think my first question for you is just this: hearing you uh, talk and your passion for the the church for kingdom work in around the world, um, it starts with the the children. Yes, uh, raising children in in homes in schools, the uh, the education of a child. Uh, how do you view that? What are some things that the churches, let's start with this. What are the churches doing right? What are some things that you're seeing that you think that's, don't lose that? I wish that was an easy answer yeah. to that because we, we're losing a lot. I mean, Sunday school is not where it used to be, is it? Mm-mm. No. So uh, maybe I'll do it sort of autobiographically looking backwards. Sure. Um, because it was done right in my mm-hmm. upbringing. And that's important because I was a blue-collar kid. Okay. And nobody in my family had ever been to university. Uh, I was the first. So that's quite a journey. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was a kid, uh, I think my dad's check for the week, it wasn't a check, it was cash, was something of the order of 20 bucks. Okay. If you can imagine that. No. no, I was born at the beginning of the Second World War. Okay. And so... uh, we lived from one pay packet to the next. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they never went into debt. Uh, my mother made something on the side because mm-hmm. she was a very good seamstress, tailoress indeed. But the one important thing, of course, was that the first thing that was done with the pay packet was to take 10% out for the church. Yeah. I don't do that. That's a hard thing for people to do But when things are tight. But we don't even do it when they're not tight. No, no. By and large. We do it more at the end of the year when you look around at charity giving and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it doesn't have to be done, you know, in a legal. In fact, it shouldn't be done in an entirely legalistic way. It should come from the heart in yeah, the end. Absolutely. But but it's a training program as well. Mm-hmm. So um, the Bible was central to their house. Um, the Bible was read to me every morning before I went to school. Mm-hmm. And it was read to me before I went to bed. Mm-hmm. And of course, in those days when you went to school, it was read to you in school as well. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. So for 12 years, I got the Bible three times a day uh, during the week. Uh, Saturday was uh, down to one a day. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday, all day pretty well. Mm-hmm. Church in the morning, Sunday school in the afternoon, church in the evening. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as a child, you don't think anything about it. That's the way life is. And what could be better? My mother uh, was the child of a family that had a Marxist head. My grandfather on my mother's side, her father, was a Marxist trade union leader. Okay. That's, yeah. That's 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 an interesting place to start. And he referred to Churchill as Brimston Churchill. (laughs) <laughs> the first thing I knew about Churchill was from him, you know, when I got to the age of talking about such things. Not and, real glowing reviews of well, Churchill. Churchill, it, before the Second World War, yeah. on one occasion had closed down a miners' strike in the Abu Vale area. Okay. And it was a totally justified strike. Mm-hmm. The, the mine owners wanted them to work for less than a living wage. That's unacceptable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, when Churchill died, they danced in the streets of Abu Vale. Mm. They never forgot. Because it was brutal. Yeah. And he was wrong. Yeah. I don't know that he ever admitted he was wrong. Now, that's not to say we would never have got through the war without him. We wouldn't. Sure. Mm-hmm. He was worth a few battalions, his speeches. Mm-hmm. But that was the background I, she came from. Okay. And she was smart, but the British working class was more oppressive than the color bar in 
America, in fact. You couldn't get out of the working class. Yeah. Very, very few people got out of it. Mm-hmm. In, technically, you could do it, but there were also free blacks that managed mm-hmm. it before slavery was abolished. Um, medicine, for instance, and the professions were completely protected by the upper crust. You couldn't get in. Mm-hmm. And very, the, the Brits are marvellous at hypocrisy. They'd say, yes, yes, freedom, freedom. But the way they did it was if you went into medicine, they not only made you pay for your undergraduate training, they made you pay for, pay for your residency. Okay. So how many people could afford to get to 30 before they earned any money? Only the rich. Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. they got it all tied up, they yeah. thought. But after the Second World War, uh, Attlee came to power and things had to change. In fact, it was Butler, the, the later conservative thing, who made the big challenge, but the ethos had changed. Mm-hmm. And if I'd been born a few years earlier, I wouldn't be here with you now. That's how close yeah, it was. Okay. I was in the very first generation of blue-collar kids to get into medical school. Okay, interesting. Um, it was a new experience for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful for me, but uh, uh, God is good. Um, uh, but back to the children. Um, mm-hmm. uh, my mother taught Sunday school on her own yep. uh, for about 35 years. Yeah, uh, taking two weeks off in the summer, and that's all. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine anybody in church doing that nowadays? We've got we've got a couple of teachers that uh, are pretty hard, but they're few and far between. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, we we are between. not the people we used to be in that sense. Now she taught at one class uh, in mm-hmm. a scout's hut, and uh, they'd go from about five years to twelve years, something like that. Mm-hmm. And she never had any discipline problems. Yeah, on her own. Was she a Be- disciplinarian? No, she okay. didn't need to. She had two things. Their attention. Uh, <laughs> she could sing and she could get children to sing. Yeah. And that all children love singing. Yep. So that was part one. And she also had the, the family gift. Uh, it seems to be a family gift. A mm-hmm. lot of us can do it. We're storytellers. Mm-hmm. We can take ordinary events and turn them into narrative that's more interesting. Oh, yeah. I've seen, I'll interrupt you for a second <laughs> just to emphasize your point. I've seen a um, a Native American tell us like have a room of two hundred eight and nine year olds, yeah, and you could hear a pin drop oh, in yeah. the room because yeah. he was that captivating of a storyteller, yeah, that they were just all listening to every right. word. Yeah, they remember the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so she could bring the scriptures to life that way. Uh, and uh, I thought every mom could do it, but of course they couldn't. Yeah, no, it's a and unique skill. And she knew that she'd got an unusual little boy. Um, And so the other children were given a a scripture verse to read every week. But Mm -hmm. she said, you should really read, you know, like the first 18 verses of John's gospel or a Mm -hmm. whole parable or something like that. Yeah. That was no problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's one of the things we've forgotten. Mm -hmm. Uh, Forgetting history is a recurrent theme of the Bible, isn't it? Yeah, especially the Old Testament. Yeah, they they make the same mistakes. Yeah, and they make the same mistakes again and again Mm -hmm. and again. Mm -hmm. And we have forgotten our history. Oh my goodness! Yeah, dramatically. I don't. And this is what I was saying to you before we got recording here. I don't know my history well. No. And part of it's my fault, but I would also. Oh, it's mainly the culture as a whole, including the church culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, The Middle Ages were not the Dark Ages. Uh, that's just a, a post-endarkenment slur. I don't call it an enlightenment. It wasn't. It was an endarkenment. Yeah. Um, the scientific revolution and the Renaissance are different things. The scientific revolution occurred, started much earlier. But um, the Middle Ages was deeply Christian. It was the only story in town. Mm-hmm. Every culture has a story of meaning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the moment, we have a cacophony of stories and they're not worked out properly and the one that claims to be dominant is not an adequate story Mm -hmm. the judeo-christian one is the best in the world without any question yeah um and for them the the middle ages said okay uh, the the roman empire was collapsing the only way things stayed alive was the catholic church and the monasteries the monastic movement beginning as the Catholic Church collapsed, mm-hmm. and that's where learning was preserved, and it got right out to the edge of the Western Western world, mm-hmm. uh, pushed by the hordes from Scandinavia and from other places before it came back. Yeah, but they did ask good questions, mm-hmm. and one of them was, 
how do Christians, how do the minds of children develop? How should our education system, which they started, what should it be based on? And they based it on something called the trivium, yeah, which means uh, three. Try, yeah. Yeah, not trivial, nope. unimportant, but yeah, so what are the three? three. Yeah. So the first one is grammar, which for us is memory. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing, those of you who've got very small children, just think about this for a moment. Your child is going to learn a whole language without any formal education in language mm-hmm. in the next four or five years. Yeah. You don't need to go to school to learn your native language. My youngest is seven, so yeah, she's she's fluent. She's very fluent. <laughs> you can't stop her talking. No, <laughs> that's right. Uh, and so they realised, okay, we've got to stuff their minds with all the things that are most important. Mm-hmm. I mean, your seven-year-old could beat you at memorising psalms. Oh, so no let doubt. her do that because yeah. it's a good way to get her to memorise the psalms, which is a huge gift. Mm-hmm. So memorization is important. That's why the education faculty is totally wrong yeah. in the, all the stuff they're doing pretty well. I'd blow up the whole thing if I could. Yeah. I'd take the people out on that yeah, kind. But, yeah. but so, start with memorization, a lot of scripture, yeah. because that's our way of life, that's our culture. Uh-huh. Times tables. Yep. Uh, a kid who's taught that way can be faster than someone with a calculator. Yeah, so here's what I've seen change even in in my lifetime. Uh, I was taught memorization, my multiplication tables. You can just rapid rapid fire. Uh, Now the education system is teaching them principles of, you know, here's how these, the mathematical principles work. No, but they're not. But, um, and so to a point that makes sense so that they understand the foundation, like what's underneath. There isn't anything much underneath. (laughs) Yeah. They're making it up as they go along. Yeah. You've got to have, as Lewis put it later, you can't have an argument without an obvious premise. Mm -hmm. So when you start counting, Mm -hmm. it was a long while before many places got the numbers together, but they they have a foundation in the way we count, but... We don't, a computer doesn't count in anything other than zeros and ones. Yeah. So if they claim that they're teaching principles mm-hmm. and they can't explain the difference between, and most of them couldn't, how the computer works, how a duodecimal system would work, mm-hmm. they, they weren't all the same systems uh, the, in the, the, the fertile crescent of the Middle East. They worked on uh, much more on six than they did on ten. The zero came from India. Okay. We call it Arabic numerals, but they're really Hindu numerals. Yeah. And we don't know the genius who thought of zero. I don't. No. Uh, but these things, yeah. when they were done, they become the working pattern, the the tools that you have. Like elemental. And children are not asking the questions of how and why. That's no. what's wrong with the faculty of education. They just want to memorize everything. So mm-hmm. play to that strength. Uh, you can teach them to read very quickly by phonics. Mm-hmm. Uh, look and say takes much longer uh, because they, they can only have the things with someone's helping them. But once mm-hmm. they're taught the sounds, which they know, and they're associated with the letters. So my mother taught me to read before I was five. Mm-hmm. I, I was in bed for a little while. Uh, uh, they thought I got rheumatic fever on hand. But that was great because she had to think what to do and mm-hmm. puzzles and reading. I was away. Yeah. Um, that's important. Okay. Um, I'm grammar. Grammar. Tri- memory. Tri- trivium. One. one. Grammar. Mm-hmm. Memory. Lots of scripture. Times tables. Yeah. Spelling. Phonic teaching of letters. And then you've given the child, not the principles, but the mechanisms. Mm-hmm. You don't go to the next step until the child says how and why. Is this number two of trivium? Two, yeah. Okay. And so you go from grammar to logic, which we don't teach formally at all in the modern education system, mm-hmm. and that's critical. Yeah. Now, interestingly, for many years, the the basic the book for classical logic was was written by the same man who wrote When I Survey the, the Cross. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Isaac Watts. Okay. Uh, it's still worth using. And what's the name of the book? I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Isaac Watts on logic will will get you to it. Sure. Okay. Um, and an example that is is an easy way to go. I love to tease students, and uh, in teaching a course to medical students on the biochemistry of nutrition, for instance, 
uh, I could slip in something like, if you're fit, you don't need exercise, and if you're sick, you shouldn't take it. Now, you smile immediately because you know there must be something Sounds wrong with like that, but what's wrong with it? It's got a specific name, and once you name it, it means you understand. It's called the undistributed middle. It has other names, but that's the one I like most because okay. what I did to you in your head was propose that the world was just either, either fit or, or sick, yeah. but it isn't. No. There are a few people who are sick, there are a few people who fit, and the rest are, like me, a slightly lazy slob, you know. <laughs> uh, when election time comes by, they say it's either us or disaster. No, it's probably a disaster with both of you. We're choosing the lesser of two evils. Uh -huh. The vast majority of Americans in the middle are not content with either party yeah. at the moment, or at yeah. least they shouldn't be. Right. Mm -hmm. But we've got to, you've got to redress some balances. I mean, the idea that you can spend without money is we'll just print it. Well, mm -hmm. that just devalues money in the long yeah. run. Mm -hmm. It has to. Mm -hmm. And that has its advantages for the wealthy. They, they will not be in the least bit bothered by it as no. things go by. Uh, those of us who are in debt at the time that they start playing these games will be in deep trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the world. Yeah. So you start to teach them how to think logically, how to frame the questions, how to answer them. Mm -hmm. um, and you start having some space for the important questions. Now, we as Christians are having to learn live as a minority. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, we, we have to learn to ask questions again. Jesus always worked that way. Mm -hmm. Just think of it. Whose image is this? Who was his neighbor? Yeah. So people would come to Jesus with a, with a question and he would say something like, well, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you a story. Mm -hmm. Now you go figure it out. Now, especially for our young people going into a very dangerous place called university, You've got to live by questions. Don't try and evangelize. You're not up to it. The people you're dealing with us are better trained than you are, and they can take you to pieces and they maliciously enjoy it. Mm, yeah. Uh, you've got to work by questions. Mm -hmm. So look at Jesus' questions. The best modern introduction to how to ask questions, I think, is Peter Kraft from Boston College, okay. uh, who I can call a friend. Um, he grew up in a Christian reform home. Mm -hmm. So naturally, he ended going to Calvin College, okay. uh, now university. And when he got there, he was appalled. Even then, he's my age, so this was a long while ago. We're talking about the 50s, uh, mm -hmm. the early 60s. Um, he was appalled by the biblical illiteracy. Mm. We're not doing the memory in yeah. step one. So we've already, yeah. by not giving them all those stories of meaning, yeah. we've already handicapped them. A child can easily remember every story in the Bible before the age of seven. Mm -hmm. The Jews still do that, the best mm -hmm. ones. And, of course, that's what makes them shrewd. Because mm -hmm. if you're a child and you've learned the history of Israel, which is the only truthful history that a nation has, yeah. we, make, we make our thugs into heroes in a few years. Nobody who had anything to do with the beginning of America was in any way nasty. Do you really believe that? Yeah. Of course not. It's not true. Robin Hood was a thug, but we've made him into a hero. Mm -hmm. But the Bible doesn't allow that. Every king gets his judgment, and usually it's he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And every, every now and again, he, did, he was righteous. Mm -hmm. And so every Jew properly educated knows that in life, the odds are nine to one on that the person I'm talking to is not above cheating me. Right. That makes them good businessmen because they're realistic about human nature. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, the people, the woke people, have utopian dreams. We, we can be perfect. And kids are told you can, you can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. Yeah. That's utterly ridiculous. What you can do is do the best at what comes to you next and see where that leads you. If you're told you can be anything, you're going to be 99.9% .9 of us are going to be disappointed yeah, in life. That's where they came to my mind, disappointed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, no, do what you can do as well as you can do and see where that leads you. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be much more sensible. Teach some logic, teach some history. Mm -hmm. we, we don't do history anymore. Is this number three, history? The history is still in number two, okay. really. Okay. Uh, the, number three is what Obama did very well, but he didn't have number one and two in place, rhetoric. Mm, yeah. That's how to present mm -hmm. your yourself, how yeah. to present your story. Mm -hmm. We are now so concerned with externals, with presentation, mm -hmm. uh, all the stuff they do in business school about how to, you know, how to dress, how to all the rest. It, it's rubbish at one mm -hmm. level. 
I mean, it's not to say it doesn't work no. transiently, mm -hmm. yeah. but it's ruining our society because no longer do we put competence above appearance. Yeah. And just look at the lives of people who become famous on the stage or on film. Oh, yeah. Or just, I mean, I'm thinking back to the last several presidential elections. Some sure. of the brightest people didn't stand a chance because well, they, we, they we weren't... They, they didn't. They, the didn't they didn't have the push behind, etc., etc. Et yes, and mm -hmm. the the population as a whole are easily bought. Mm -hmm. uh, so the more cynical, they just present, say, "We'll do this, this, and this." They have no intention of doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, we're we're in a difficult state, and, so, and the only way out actually is the Christian one. Mm -hmm. uh, we're some way off getting back to that, but we can begin to push back more effectively, and so. A good base in grammar, uh, an understanding of mm -hmm. logic and consequence, and then you start polishing it. How, how do you present? Uh, it, it, Jesus is a very good example of storytelling. Now, what Peter Kreeft does uh, is when he finished his PhD, I was talking to him about this many years ago now, he said, well, I, I, I got to Calvin and was a bit appalled about the biblical illiteracy, mm -hmm. and that was probably he was probably in the place which was most biblically literate, nevertheless. Mm -hmm. And then he he went on and he realized that when we become illiterate like that, we need liturgy. Now, this in a, a Baptist church or a Protestant church, mm -hmm. they're, they're almost allergic to it uh, when you put it that way. Our liturgy is non liturgy. Except that it is a liturgy. It is, yeah. It uh, is and I grew up itself. in a, a church, mm -hmm. a brethren church, which uh, which prided itself on not having a liturgy. Mm -hmm. But I, I had that sort of cynical testing yeah. uh, character. And I, I would say, I know exactly what that brother is going to pray. Mm -hmm. 90% of our prayers are repeated. Yeah. And so the choice is not whether I'm going to get repeated prayers. The choice is whether I'm going to get one that's beautiful and has content or not. Mm -hmm. And I've heard the content that they've got many times. Whereas when you have a liturgy, you have a large amount of material which you can relate to. And I would put it the other way around and say, we need prayers. What has there been a prayer in your life this week that has really worked, really made a difference to you? Mm -hmm. Now, I go to an Anglican church now. Mm -hmm. uh, sadly, uh, it's losing its way very badly, uh, but we don't have anything else in the area that's any better. It's a problem. Mm -hmm. And after COVID, I think a lot of churches are going to close. Mm -hmm. It'd be a good pruning process, but it's going to be hard. But the opening prayer in on Sunday morning is, O Lord, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, mm -hmm. cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your spirit. No, that's not a wasted word there, is there? Mm -mm. And it's exactly what I need. I can't even drive to church and stay pure, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, the speed limit gets lost and all mm -hmm. sorts of other things, you know. Mm -hmm. So, and if you're a physician and you arrive at church on Sunday, the last thing you want is somebody jigging up and down and pretending that everything is wonderful and that Jesus' love is filling me with everything. Mm -hmm. Most weeks you've had something go terribly wrong, mm -hmm. especially as the bureaucrats take over more and more. The satisfactions are down. What, what do you actually need? You need repentance. You need the gospel. But it starts with mm -hmm. repentance. Uh, you can't use the word gospel because they, they just mean good news, and good yeah. news isn't telling me the truth about myself. But that's where the good news starts. Mm -hmm. I mean, Lewis puts it in uh, Mere Christianity, uh, somewhere around the third chapter, he says, um, repentance is not something God demands of you that he could forego if he wishes. Repentance is simply a description of what coming to God is like. Mm -hmm. Just think about it's people in the Bible who had a real encounter with God. Did they sing a happy song immediately? And they dropped. And they were dropped. Yeah. And they had to be picked up by God. Mm -hmm. And we all need to be dropped. Mm -hmm. And we're not doing that. Yeah. Uh, there's a very good case, I think, of going back to a fairly formal, I, I mean, in our sort of church, I think the way to do it is, look, we want to come into the presence of God. Mm -hmm. Let's take a full three or four minutes to think about the things in the week that we have done. Yeah, We have done those things which we ought not to have done, and we have failed to do those things we ought to have done. I mean, the old words mm -hmm. are not bad, are they? No, no not at all. 
I think the, I mean, the natural, the reason we push back on liturgy is because the danger of it becoming just rote. rote. Yes, but it is rote. Through the uh, motions. For us too. Yeah. If you have, uh, you know, the pastor say he doesn't want to preach one Sunday, he Mm -hmm. can always get away with, let's have a hymn sing tonight. Mm -hmm. Uh, The congregation don't mind that at all. (laughs) But if you analyze the choices, Mm -hmm. some of them are for the words, but most of them are for the tune. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's telling you a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the really spectacularly good hymns in terms of content language, we don't sing very much at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, my favorite hymn at the moment is uh, is because I love the performance by the choir of uh, St. Martins in the Fields in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, my song is love unknown. My Savior's love to me. Love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. And those words are meaningful, mm-hmm. and the whole the whole hymn is meaningful, but it's very rarely sung. Is it too? Do you a good know tune? it? No. It, and the the tune is by a classical uh, composer. Yeah. Uh, I'm not musical enough to sing it. I won't try. But just put uh, yeah. my song is love unknown choir of uh, St Martin's in the Fields, and you'll get it. Okay. It's about a, a nine person choir. It is stunningly beautiful. Yeah. I wonder if it's like. Someone, a presenter, who is a good storyteller. Yeah. Um, or maybe no. Let's say it's a presenter who's not a good storyteller. Yeah. yeah. They can present facts and statistics all yeah. day. Yeah. But uh, the melody is the guy who can tell the story. Yeah. To, to uh, and that's the what they're for. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in illiterate so- societies, yeah. singing was obviously the way to go. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So the the the, the chant was mm-hmm. a way of learning mm-hmm. the the. The, the liturgy that you lived in, which would include a creed and would include repenta- repentance and mm-hmm. it would include uh, the assurance of forgiveness mm-hmm. and there would be a reading from the Old and the New Testament and the Psalms. Mm-hmm. It was very biblical. Cranmer was an amazing man, you know. The, the, Peter Crave said when he went through the world's liturgies, re- having realized that this was going to be the problem and the one that he was brought up with was a bit shallow, mm-hmm. he was surprised to find the best in the world by far was the old Anglican one hmm. before any of the moderns got hold of it and started playing with the words before the family. Go back to the night before the 1920s, if possible. Yeah. And Shakespeare, you see, is you can't read Shakespeare if you don't know the King James version of the Bible, which is a direct derivative of the Bible that Shakespeare had, not the same one. And that was the, the fundamental structure of our society. And what it did was give people all sorts of things they could rely on, like you. I mean, the Ten Commandments are amazing. Mm-hmm. And the, the gift of the sanctity of life comes directly out of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't recognize it. Common law goes right back to King Alfred. And you took it over rightly here. And it gives a way of having an evolving law. What's when you say common law? Well, uh, twelve just men and true. It was uh, so when when Alfred and his sons had to rule England before there were roads mm-hmm. and their justices. And Alfred's advice was that when the judges went out to hear the difficult cases, first ask the people locally what would be your immediate consequences of immediate thoughts about how to deal with this crime. Mm-hmm. So it's rooted in everyday reality. Okay. And then they had to put it in a, a more legal framework. Mm-hmm. But it's not fixed. It's not written in stone. So if another case comes up where the precedent would look as though they would be punished, but you say, not in this case. Yeah. And, and those 12 people could say, no, we're not going to. We'll declare them innocent. Mm-hmm. And that becomes another precedent, and it balances the thing out. Mm-hmm. And most people have no idea about, you know, the way the, the power of the king was ruled in by Magna Carta. Uh, you've got bills of rights. We had bills of rights in England too. Mm-hmm. We have a long history which is deeply rooted in scripture and we don't recognize it. Yeah. Now, I became more and more aware of this as time went by and I have on my website, johnpatrick.ca, if you want to go there, a test of biblical literacy. Mm-hmm. It's very annoying because the answers are not provided. But it's about... 50 or 60 phrases. Mm-hmm. I wrote it one Sunday when I, the, the pastor in the church I was in totally misunderstood a bit of scripture. So 
he got one of these phrases utterly wrong. Mm -hmm. I thought, I wonder how many more times this heard. And then I heard on radio some baseball commentator saying this was a battle of David and Goliath, and he seems to think that Goliath won because he was the biggest one, you know. <laughs> so uh, David and Goliath is one that you could use in church, hopefully, and people yeah. get the right message, but not by no means everyone. Mm -hmm. In our uh, higher levels of immigration, uh, I even found that there are people in first-year medicine uh, who would not understand the crown of thorns. If I said that, well, if you take that job, it will be a crown of thorns. Well, all they thought that would be uncomfortable. Yeah. It didn't bring the whole story because right. they didn't know the story. There's nothing uploaded in their mind. And perhaps the most striking one of all, you often hear of Patton's famous response of nuts to somebody saying you should surrender uh, in the Second World War, much quoted. But there's a much better one. What's that? The last telegram sent from Dunkirk actually by a Canadian, uh -huh. but fighting yeah. with the British, uh, was just three words. But if not, it was sent to the war office in London, uncoded, and they understood it immediately. Do you? No. Nope. You do, actually, when I prompt you a little bit. It's scriptural, and it goes like this. Be it known unto you, King Nebuchadnezzar, our God is able to save us from the fiery furnace, but if not, we will not bend the knee. Yeah. What a magnificent telegram to send. Mm -hmm. How much more magnificent the culture immediately understood it. Yeah. The Germans didn't. Yeah. Interesting. They were probably puzzling it over it far too long and they forgot to send the Luftwaffe and Britain got away <laughs> to a large degree. Yeah. Um, the guy who sent it died. Uh, in the, the film, um, Dunkirk, uh, Kenneth Branagh clearly didn't know that story because that would have been the perfect ending, mm -hmm. but they don't use it. Mm -hmm. So uh, our whole literature is soaked in the Bible, yeah. our languages, uh, because that's who formed us. Yeah. And we have no means of communicating with one another except by metaphor. Mm -hmm. Now, my colleagues in science say, oh, I don't do metaphor. And I say, what do you think atom is? Yeah, we all do. Yeah, you can't. Uh, yeah, we don't. It, an atom is a metaphor because we can't define it completely. We still don't understand it completely by any means. Uh -huh. uh, metaphors are the way, we, it's the only way you have to talk to one another. Mm -hmm. my, or a simile, you know, my love mm -hmm. is like a red, red rose. Well, in what way, you yeah. know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's what makes. It dies uh, when it gets cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it makes poetry possible. Mm -hmm. And we have forgotten that. And yeah. our scholars have forgotten it too. I call the NIV the nearly infallible wooden version, by which I mean it has, it has killed poetry in many places where it shouldn't. Mm -hmm. My first test, if somebody gives another translation of the Bible, is to go to Ecclesiastes. And my test mm -hmm. verse is, I looked and behold, I saw the, war was, the, the race was not to the swift nor yet the battle to the strong, but mm -hmm. time and chance happened to every man. Mm -hmm. Now, if you can't see that that's poetry, yeah. You're lost. But the new translations so often, they manage to take all the cadence, all the rhythm out of it. Mm -hmm. We need to get back to loving language. We don't love language at the moment. No. The, uh, it, it drives me nuts the way people use like as a filler in sentences all the while. They can't speak in complete sentences. Mm -hmm. I even get people say to me after a talk, you, you spoke for two hours in sentences. Yeah. <laughs> Complete sentences. <laughs> yes. um, it ought to be like that. Of course, we have pauses like ums and ers a little bit. And sure. they, can, they can be used appropriately to give people a chance to think about what's just been said. But they shouldn't be scattered by like every second word almost. No, no. So, so we, the example is very clear. In church, the music group practices quite a bit for Sunday, don't they? Mm -hmm. or usually do. Mm-hmm. The people doing the readings, how much practice do they do? None. Probably. In most cases. Yeah. Which is the more important, without any question, the reading. Uh, uh, I'm not boasting because it's nothing mm -hmm. I did, but, except I was educated in that way. Mm -hmm. But it is common. Uh, if I'm preaching in America mm -hmm. uh, or in the Western world and they ask for a, t uh, a passage, uh, I say, I want to read the passage I'm using myself. But uh, you can choose one that will go with it for a gospel or a psalm. Okay. And the reason I want to read it is because so many people don't know how to read. 
And it's not rare for someone to come up afterwards to me and say, that was astonishing. Before you said anything about the text, when you read it, I understood it better than I'd ever understood it before. What happened? Mm-hmm. I said, just know how to read. Yeah. You see, most people, like most people, like to think they could conduct. But when we conduct to the, uh, a CD or whatever it is, we're going with the music. Yeah. But a great conductor is in front of the music. Mm-hmm. He is drawing out of the orchestra what he knows is there. Mm-hmm. And it is so... Hmm. It's characteristic of him. So, for instance, I could listen to a recording of a Beethoven symphony, and if Klemperer recorded it, I would know. Mm-hmm. I, I can recognize his hallmarks. Uh, that's the way it works. Yeah. Uh, well, you take a passage like Ephesians 1, I mean, you've got a sentence there that is very long. Yeah. If you don't know how that sentence is put together, you can't read it properly. So I don't read the words, I read the sentences. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. I look at the whole and you decide where the emphasis has to be. Mm-hmm. And of course it brings it to life. Mm-hmm. All these, That's what poetry does. Yeah, so let me, let me try and tie a bow on this. This <laughs> uh, has been a fun conversation. Um, so... Two things, because I'm thinking about I'm thinking about some of our folks who are listening who have kids, young kids, or even grandkids who they they have strong influence. Teach it to your children and your grandchildren. Yes, right. Teach, teach it. Um, So my initial question, and we've had some conversation that's going around all around it, but two things that I that I heard that I think are important for us, Uh, and one teaching our kids yes uh you use the word trivium grammar logic and rhetoric and so just parents um don't be afraid to educate your own kids no and what was uh, a constant theme in all of those is the bible yes the scriptures as a foundation for teaching our kids read it to them talk about it with them memorize it with them let them supersede you in in their ability because they have it. Yes. And then the second piece, which was a little more implicit, um, uh, is the heart behind it all. Yes. So Passion. whether that, yeah, whether that liturgy is something that you just, there's a, a, a pattern, you're just going to read Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm 3, sure. and you go through the Psalms yeah. very, not, yeah, just very strategically, but predictably. Mm-hmm. But there, you can go through the Psalms without heart. And you can go through the Psalms with a heart full of emotion, passion. And the Psalms can also write on your soul. I would like, I try to read a Psalm every day. I get up in the morning. Mm -hmm. Before I get out of bed, I say the Lord's Prayer twice. Mm -hmm. Once by rote. And the second time I ask the Lord to stop me somewhere. So that in those moments of the day where you could go off into fantasy land or whatever, you've got a word. Mm -hmm. He can stop you at the first word. If we wrote the Lord's Prayer... My would be the first word, but mm-hmm. it's our. You can think about that all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a, a wonderful discipline to start. Then I will read a psalm. If you read a psalm every day, and you can, on occasions, you can read more than one, and mm-hmm. when you get to 119, you're going to take a little longer. Mm-hmm. But you'll get through the psalms roughly twice a year if you read them every yeah. That means you know the psalms to a much greater extent. And the real depth of the psalms, it was the passion and the heart crying mm-hmm. out. But you have to know them to be able to use them in the right way. Mm-hmm. On a very bad day, where do I go? Psalm 50, there are days for that. Yeah. Um, psalm 73, I think that's a, the, my view, the best psalm for university students to learn by heart because the first thing that this man looking back on his life says, it was a near thing. My foot well nigh slipped. Yeah, we just has, covered this psalm last week. Well, that's wonderful. There are two. <laughs> I, I maintain there are two crises in the psalm, not one. Okay. The first one is actually manners. He says he's got to the point where he's angry at the fact that the the bad people are winning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's the point? He says. And most people then immediately go, "I went into the house of the Lord," but there's a intermediate mm-hmm. step the first thing he said was if i say this i will be untrue to the congregation of those who loved you he's thinking of his home church so to speak he's not he's a jew obviously mm-hmm. but the congregation of people who really know him his synagogue mm-hmm. 
And he this says, easy, if, yeah. if they had heard me say that, I would break their hearts. I can't do that. So it was good manners, being well brought up. That's what it's about. You don't, you've got your ordering of the goods right, mm -hmm. uh, and you won't gratuitously be rude to people. But he still didn't understand. He said, it wasn't until I went in the house of the Lord, then I understood. Mm -hmm. Their feet are in slippery places. Yeah. It's a wonderful psalm. And it's the first of the psalms, uh, chronologically, that has a real sense of heaven in it. Who do I need but you, O Lord, and afterwards you will take me to glory. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a whole book on that psalm. Does he? From fear to... It, well, yeah, I think it's, you can get it, the Psalm 73 on from fear to faith. You, the, but that includes Habakkuk, I think. But Can I add a problem to Psalm 73? Yes. Um, there's no king that can rule quite like that, like Asaph wants. Yeah, you know? no. Um, but there is a king, he's called God. Yeah, and that's, that's the need, that's the problem. Yes, yeah. I mean, our strength is we don't live in a utopian dream here. Yeah, actually, I was going back to Psalm 72. Yeah. Which week before? Yeah, but either way. Yeah, utopian dreams is what's going on everywhere, and that's why we have to teach original sin very definitely, mm -hmm. because we know that we're going to fall. Conversion doesn't make you good, does it? It makes you redeemed. Then you have to start working on your mind bit by bit to chip away at all the bad habits. But unless you're yeah. one of the saints that I haven't met, you still have a few habits to deal mm -hmm. with, right? Yep, we all do. And if you said you didn't, I'd say, can I talk, talk to your wife? You know? <laughs> and vice versa. Or your children. No. Uh, mm -hmm. there's nothing. We have been seduced into the utopian dream, feeling-centered way of presentation. We do it in the gospel. Mm -hmm. Well, we should ditch that. You remember good feelings. You don't try to produce them. Remember is a recurrent word in the Bible. Remember mm -hmm. what the Lord did. Mm -hmm. So when something important happens to you, get it rehearsed. Be able to remember it in a way that's powerful for you mm -hmm. when you're in a bad strait like it again. Mm -hmm. uh, but don't pretend it's all going to be good. It's not. Yeah. The promise is there's nowhere that you will go in this life that I won't go with you. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you couldn't be put on a barbecue and barbecued to death like um, Polycarp. Yeah. yeah, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. But Polycarp was with Christ in that, uh -huh. so much so that he could even joke to his torturers, you can turn me over now, I think I'm done on that side. <laughs> and Stephen, he didn't feel the stones. Yeah. He was already seeing the end point. We even mm -hmm. get little hints of that now. Children, particularly when they die, Christian mm -hmm. children, um, they see heaven before they get there. Mm. Uh, Diane Comp's little book, A Window on Heaven, it was children. She, like me, grew up in a Christian home, lost mm -hmm. her way. It was children who brought her back. Okay. Uh, the first one, a little girl of about eight, dying of leukemia. And just before she died, she woke up. They, children do that more than adults. They have a lucid interval just before they die. So fading away, terminal coma, and then suddenly... She sits up and says, Mommy, can you see the angels? Can you hear their singing? And she was gone. Hmm. What would, if, you, if you don't tear up at a story like that, you've got a swinging brick for a heart. Yeah. yeah. But that's our God. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good God. Okay. So this has been a fun conversation. We could go on for well, quite a while, couldn't we? Yeah, we could. Uh, but they would stop listening after a while. I don't know. <laughs> some would, I know some it could be a long while because yeah. the world is hungry. Yeah. Yeah. They are hungry. Yes. Uh, and the, yeah, the hunger is, is growing. Yes. Uh, and it's becoming more obvious that um, a non-biblical worldview has a lot of holes yes. that need to be filled. Yeah. It's been such a privilege in my life to grow up in a Christian working-class home. We mm -hmm. were poor. I mm -hmm. never knew we were poor mm -hmm. as a child. I was fed, I was watered, I was loved, and life mm -hmm. was predictable. Mm -hmm. What more does a child need? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. No television. We never had a car. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was fine. Yeah. Uh, and the world was safer then. Mm -hmm. uh, I rode my bike all over Europe before I went to university. Mm -hmm. And no, uh, the only thing was a postcard a day. Mm-hmm. Can I quote one of my friends? Um, I won't. I won't share his name. Uh, but he uh, he said, "I think 
uh, cell phones are more dangerous than machetes. <laughs> I would agree to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I said, I, I totally agree. Yes, um, because that's damaging the mind. Oh. And, the and building, you don't know it. My passion is the rebuilding of the Christian mind. The classic book was Harry Meyer's book on the Christian mind some in the 1950s, but there are others to read now as well, but start there and work up. But we, we have to think Christianly. Yeah, oh yeah, and we have to think critically, but Christianly. Yes. And one of the things we talk about here, and we the work hard at it. is difficult. It is, yeah, it is. In fact, I would say it's almost impossible. Yeah. I don't like critical thinking as a concept because it, it presumes to say that we can do things that we're not very good at. So I have a, a much more uh, concern that we think in these terms. Every time anybody proposes anything mm -hmm. or you meet a problem, uh, there are three ideas that you need to deal with. What are you revolting against? What do you want to change? Mm -hmm. uh, so what you're proposing to do now, how is it better than what was there before? The bi biblical phrase, don't remove a fence till you know why it was put up. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Uh, number two is, can I think of any consequences of this new process that could stop it? Now, if they had done that in COVID, mm -hmm. They would, if they'd sat down and just thought carefully, they would have said, if we make everybody mask, what's that going to go do to children who are trying to learn a language? Is it going to be easier for them to learn a language when they can't see lips? Mm -hmm. Of course it's not. You could guarantee if we make children at that stage wear masks, we will put the whole education system back. Mm -hmm. There's no way you can prove, you can expect anything else, and it's happened. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't have done it. Uh, the, the people who, who did the De Greater Barrington Declaration understood they were better scientists and better human beings. Mm -hmm. So they said, there are a small group of people who are really vulnerable. They should isolate themselves. They should have closed down their old people's home and say, get back to a smaller environment where you can control it, if at all possible. Yeah. Because being with a lot of other people like you, you're inevitably going to get Yeah. Because it's a coronavirus and everybody wearing masks. And, and of course, very quickly, the women in particular started having fancy masks, cloth ones. Mm -hmm. Now, cloth masks were utterly irrelevant to a virus the size of the, uh, the coronavirus we were yeah. dealing with. Uh, if you didn't have a high quality mask, it wasn't worth wearing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that we didn't know that. That work had been done in the Karolinska in Sweden years ago when anaesthetists said, look, do we really have to sit through a six-hour six uh, operation wearing a mask the whole time? Is there really any benefit in being the Swedes? I said, well, let's do the experiment. Mm -hmm. And they did it, and they found, no. It, obviously, if you're right over the wound, you, you need something to stop your saliva and things dropping in, but yeah. that's Otherwise. about what the mask does. Yeah. I mean, the first operations done uh, by uh, in the 1860s uh, under uh, basically pouring in bleach into the wound. Uh, he was operating in street clothes because hmm. they didn't know. Mm -hmm. the pastor's, sure. pastor's work was just becoming to near the future. Uh, it wasn't long before the change occurred, but that was the state. Mm -hmm. uh, a little history can make you stand back a little bit and say, Let's do it differently. So that's number two. What consequences can you predict from this treatment? I mean, even our hypercleanliness in the Western world mm -hmm. is almost certainly involved in some way with the development of inflammatory bowel disease. Okay. I have never seen either Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis in the tropics. God made babies to crawl, not to walk. Mm -hmm. So, and in the tropics, they crawl in the mud. They get dirty. And of course here, which group of people in North America get much less Crohn's and osteocolitis than the rest of us? Farm kids. Mm -hmm. To grow up in a farm is the, a farm best, the best one for your immune system. Yeah. We're going to have all sorts of immune complications coming up. Uh, and then of course the final one is mm -hmm. show me some data. And in this case, they, they were so sure they were right and it was going to be such a disaster that they cut that step out. It wasn't properly tested to show that it worked. And now we know it also had a lot of side effects they weren't prepared for. Mm -hmm. The cost of the mismanagement of COVID is going to be huge. Psychological, 
uh, immune diseases that pe- the lawyers are going to have a field day. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that and the fact that long-term... we as Christians sat by and didn't bleat him like sheep go to the slaughter. We were silent. Uh, there are people in church who were intimidated into not holding their loved one's hand when they died. Mm-hmm. Nobody's got the right to do that. Obviously, if you do it, mm-hmm. you have to isolate afterwards if you survive the experience. But if you die, you're not really going to care. We went together. Yeah. Yeah, and I think to look back then too and to look back and not learn any lessons would be foolish. Would be, would be foolish. And the church needs to get organized. And I'll add one thing to this. Go ahead. That wouldn't have happened if we had a real power of attorney given to people who share your belief system. Every church could run this. You don't want your nearest and dearest making the decisions. They can have a veto power over some things, but I've seen it too many times. Uh, when somebody's dying and one child who hasn't been home for a long while comes up near the end, mm-hmm. which is the child who's going to push for every possible treatment? The mm-hmm. one who hasn't been around at all, yeah. dealing with their own guilt. Mm-hmm. So uh, we don't want, you don't want to sign a living will. It can kill you. Mm-hmm. What you want is to have within the church people whom you trust who can be called when you're going into ICU or whatever and make the decisions for you because they know what you believe and what follows from that. Mm-hmm. And I think you'd get new members to your church at the thought that would be people who would come and see me to look after that aspect of my life. That's caring for one another. Yeah. Yeah. Legal power of attorney. There you go. Okay. I'm going to close this down. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, thank you. Uh, thanks for the, the conversation. It's been really good and a lot of twists and turns, but every part of the conversation, I think, hopefully, was uh, helpful in one way or the other. Um, Can I add my podcast? Yeah, by yes. all means. Dr. John Patrick. Dr. John Patrick. On, on podcast on Apple. How often do you record Once an a episode? Week. Once a week. Okay, very good. And your subject matter? Whatever I'm reading at the time. Okay. Well, great. So it's not scripted. All right. It has that sense of being. So, yeah, check out his podcast. That would be great. Um, good information for bless you, all. you to think about. Okay. Well, thank you, Calvary Bible Church. We'll see you next week on Sunday. Love you guys. Thanks again for joining us on today's episode. And remember, our Sunday sermons are meant to lead us to a life of worship beyond Sunday.